0: A better way to do this let me show you a better way
1: hi folks this is Jack Spikel with another edition of the survival podcast As always one man's view of the changing world the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if time to get tough or even if they don't Today is November the 7th, 2013. This is episode 1243, 1243 of the Survival Podcast. I've got my good friend Paul Wheaton hanging on the line. I'll have him with us in just a minute to talk about rocket mass heater technology. Some really, really cool stuff that Paul's doing with that and some other cool stuff that he's doing. Before I bring on Paul, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, WesternBotanicals.com. If you want to uh, look after yourself with herbals, I don't know a better source for you than westernbotanicals.com. They have everything you can think of from the herbal world. It's all either organically grown or wildcrafted, and the best thing that they have is real people. That really care about this audience. And if you call them and you're not sure what you need, they'll help you figure it out. And uh, if you need something beyond herbals, they'll be happy to tell you this is not really something we do. This is something you need to talk to a medical professional about. They'll be open and honest with you about that. They're huge supporters of the show. If uh, you give them a call and follow the instructions in your member support brigade area, if you're a member, that is, they will give you a discount membership that normally costs $50 a year, effectively paying for your first year of membership in and of itself, and you'll get 25% off everything that you ever buy from them uh, after that. So check them out today. WesternBotanicals.com Next up today, Harvest Eating Herbs of a Different Kind from the awesome, the illustrious, the cool Chef Keith Snow. If you want to make your cooking uh, better and if you want to turn cooking into a life skill and really a prepper skill, check out what Chef Keith is doing. He'll teach you to cook seasonally and locally. And when I say herbs of a different kind, he also has some awesome seasoning stuff. He's got a great podcast, a wonderful YouTube channel. You'll find all of that and more at HarvestEating.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you uh, do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping $0.18.3 cents per episode. With that uh, all wrapped up, it's uh, my good pleasure now to say, uh, Hey, Paul, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man.
0: Thanks, Jack. What's it's there? great to be here.
1: I always love having you on because you're always in a good mood. At least you pretend to be when you're on my show. If you're not, I never know. Um, and that makes for an exciting, enjoyable interview. We're here to talk about today rocket mass heaters. And uh, could you kind of just start out with what, what the hell is the basic concept of a rocket mass heater?
0: <clears throat> well, um, first got to say that maybe the reason I'm happy is my life is so damn awesome. And um, <laughs> so how can you not be happy? Uh, but uh, what the hell is a rocket mass heater? It is a way to heat your home. Uh, when compared to a conventional wood stove, because it's a wood-burning contraption, uh, it uses one-tenth the wood. Now, you would think that it therefore puts out one-tenth the smoke, but it actually puts out one-one-thousandth of the smoke. And um, I know that your audience, they are very sharp-minded, and they're already doing the math, and they're saying, uh, I went out and I bought myself this 75% efficient, uh, wood stove, and so uh, the claim that Wheaton is making now is impossible. It violates the laws of physics and math and things like that, and so <clears throat> if you don't mind, I would like to take a moment to totally crush that position.
1: Excellent, Paul. Go but, for it.
0: Alright. There's two ways to crush it. The most obvious way is, take a look at your chimney. The stuff going at the top of your chimney is 300 to 600 degrees, and it's carrying all that smoke out. And um, so it's kind of like, wow, wouldn't it be convenient to have that 300 to 600 degrees, like, I don't know, in your home, heating your home? So with a rocket mass heater, that's kind of what we do. We try to extract all the heat out. And then the exhaust that goes outside is typically anywhere from room temperature to maybe 100 to 120 degrees. So we extract more heat out before it goes outside. The other thing is, is that, um, uh, so that's part one, and I could, I could probably go on for another half an hour on that. But part two is the whole idea of how do they come up with that number of 75% efficient? And it turns out that, that the beginning of it is, is first of all, when it says 75% efficient, it's actually 64% efficient. And the reason okay. is, is that 16% of the efficiency is allowed to go up the chimney. And uh, the next part is is that they can do all kinds of tricks in the laboratory. I mean, you've got competing laboratories. Bring your bring your rockets, or I'm sorry, bring your conventional wood stove to us. We'll test it. We'll give you better numbers than that other laboratory. And so they're doing everything that they can think of. Yeah, it's a business. They're competing with each other.
1: No, what's your favorite, your your famous line? No, that's just marketing.
0: Yeah, that's just marketing, dude. Seventy five percent efficient. So the thing is, is that what they'll do is they'll take one of those conventional wood stoves and then they'll burn it for like eight hours and then they'll add in a certain amount of wood and burn that. And of course they're doing everything in their power to get that to be the, the, um, the best possible numbers that they can squeeze out. So they've made extra, extra dry wood and they've got the dampers all the way open and, and stuff like that. Now you take this 75 percent efficient wood stove, which they were able to get to 75 percent by fudging some numbers, and at the same time, you know, really, really working the system to be as good as possible in a laboratory. And you put that in the uh, in the in the hands of the typical consumer. And let's even let's t- let's go so far as to say let's let's find a typical wood stove consumer that considers themselves to be excellent at working a conventional wood stove. And you'll find that I bet you that at least half of them still put a log on in the middle of uh, late at night and turn the dampers way down so it'll burn slowly and radiate heat throughout the night while they're sleeping. And now you've taken that 75% efficient wood stove, and you're now running it at about 3% efficiency. So now when it's a 3% efficient wood stove, we've got lots of room to work with to be a far more efficient wood-burning contraption.
1: Well, that makes perfect sense. I, I think that it's also that oh, when you look at well, efficiency of what? So efficiency of burning the wood, but what about all of the exhaust that's you know created by the wood? If you if you look at what firefighters are doing, they're always worried about a backdraft where all of that smoke and CO two up on the roof. Ignites and catches on fire. Correct me if I'm wrong, but these rocket mass heaters burn all that stuff.
0: Ooh, that's a really good point. So another <laughs> great one is, is like the next time that you have a chimney fire and then you race out of the house and watch your house burn to the ground, I want you to have this thought. Hey, you know what would have been really convenient is if I could have used that chimney fire fire, like to heat my home comfortably rather than burn my house to the ground. And that's kind of what a rocket mass heater does. It burns the smoke. It burns the... There is no creosote. Of all the rocket mass heaters that I'm familiar with, I have yet to hear of a single report of there being any creosote. And it's because we burn it so efficiently. It burns... I mean, it's got all kinds of ways it does. And it's so simple. Now, granted, when you look at these things, it's nutty. In fact, the first time somebody told me about a rocket mass heater, I kind of thought that sounds like fairy dust to me because basically they said that you put your sticks into a hole. There's a hole you look down into Hello, and you look down into the hole and, and the sticks go straight down. And you're thinking if you're going to set those sticks on fire, the smoke's going to go straight up and fill the room with smoke. But it's really weird. It the fire burns sideways and, and I was before seeing it, I was absolutely sure that that cannot be. But it does. It burns sideways. So the, the magic is, is that there's a stubby little chimney built inside to it. It's about three feet tall and it's super insulated. And once it gets warmed up, then it starts doing that, that powerful convective current, which is where the word rocket comes from. It starts pulling the air up. And so your, your wood sticks are sitting low and next to this little micro chimney. And, it, and it's sucking the air through the sticks, through the fire, and up into this little chimney. And so um, it's it's wild. And so I put tons of – because at the time, there was no videos I could find anywhere of a rocket mass heater in action. So I went to a workshop – what was this, 2005? No, I, no, it was later than that. It was uh, 2008. In 2008. And I videoed it, and I put it up on YouTube. And my, my videos, I believe, are the first videos of a rocket mass heater. And you can see the fire burning sideways. And um, and then it gets pulled up the chimney. Then uh, a barrel, and you could use something other than a barrel for this job. And so I've seen them where people had them custom made, and they're very pretty. But um, you, typically um, for shops and whatnot, you use a barrel. In fact, we got a fancy one that we just built a, a week ago. And it uses a stainless steel barrel. <laughs> so it's prettier than your typical <laughs> funky steel barrel. But, uh, it goes, the, the, the exhaust, when it hits the top of the barrel, then it goes down the sides of the barrel. And then, um, you, you push it through ductwork through a mass. And then you try to get all the heat out of it that you can into the mass. And then you shoot it outside. You shoot the exhaust outside. So this is not. I keep getting people that seem to think that when we talk about a rocket mass heater that the exhaust goes into the house. I think while it's possible it could be clean enough to do that, I think I... I've, everyone I've ever seen shoots it outside, and that's what I. Uh, I would advise
1: that people continue to do that. It yeah. might be clean, but it's clean CO two and steam. <clears throat> and if you get enough CO two into an area and you breathe it, you go to sleep, <laughs> and then you don't wake up, and then people have to turn you into a hoogle mount. So I would I would yeah. prefer that you put your exhaust from any burning implement outside.
0: I, I I agree, and in fact, uh, we've had some people that are saying, "Oh, I'm going to put it in a greenhouse," and and uh, growies love CO2, and don't do that either. And no, uh, uh, you're, I mean it's it's like yes, there are systems out there that add a little CO2 to the air in a greenhouse, and they have experienced better results. But that's exceptionally carefully measured CO2.
1: Yeah, or it's something simple like your flock of chickens has access to part of the greenhouse and that's a lot less CO2 than burning wood. I, yeah. Well, even
0: more that. than that, somebody's going to walk in there and put more wood in there and then they're going to die. Die. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Dying is not, that is not care of people.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> note, note to self, don't die. Don't um, no, die. Yeah. The, the skip, skip the dying part. So yeah, definitely route the exhaust outside. Um, although the origins of the rocket mass heater are with the rocket stove, and the origins of the rocket stove are in Africa, where people are uh, uh, burning fires in their home and they're not into that whole chimney thing, and so yeah. they just open the front door and all the smoke would go out. So the rocket stove they found would be uh, would burn far cleaner with far less wood, and and so it got it was a big hit in Africa, but they still do it inside, and it's like even. Yeah. I you know, but then here in the United States when we do rocket stoves, we do them all of them are our outdoor rocket stoves. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's an important thing. We need to stick to that. Good idea. Keep doing yeah, that. Yeah, those folks over there, what they're doing with a
1: rocket stove is less damage than they had done before to themselves, not no damage. It's not yeah. a good thing. Exactly. And they're also in huts with all kinds of holes and, you know, thatched roofs or whatever. And they're not in a well-insulated, you know, modern-style home where you will easily kill yourself if you do this. So, yeah, I'm with you not doing that. You brought up rocket stove, and I think that a lot of times people get confused because they think, well, rocket heater, rocket stove, and they're not the same thing, but they are. Like, the rocket stove is a component of the rocket heater. It's where the exhaust goes that kind of changes the equation, right?
0: Well, um, and there's so much more. I mean, basically, it's kind of like the, the rocket stove idea. Um, um, it was when it was brought, to the united states um you know there's all this war going on over energy stuff and so the the rocket stove guy ianto evans then he's kind of like um well how do i what, what do i what can i do to get this to heat a home to hit heat a conventional american home so that way they can dramatically reduce their energy needs and of course um, three quarters of, um, American home energy use is for heating your home. Three quarters. And so this is, this is huge. This is enormous. So, um, th- he, he, he tried all kinds of things and he came up with, with a, a bunch of variations on the rocket stove to make this rocket mass heater work the way that it does. And, um, the, the real magic is in this. Stubby little chimney that's super insulated and creates this strong convective current and um, i mean there's been uh so Ernie Wisner was here uh, a couple of weeks ago he's built over seven hundred rocket mass heaters and and he's the leading innovator right now in rocket mass heater stuff and uh and, and so basically there's some basic recipes that you do to build a a, a decent uh, a well functioning rocket mass heaters and it's it's kind of been comedy how all these people it's like they hear about a rocket mass heater and the first thing they want to do is is before they've even built one the way that like Ernie would say to build it or I would say to build it what they do is it's like i'm going to make it better and, <laughs> and they come up with what we call freak shows of flaming death and and but it's <laughs> but they're sure it's better and then the worst part is that they say look I made a rocket mass heater. No you didn't, man. You made a disaster. <laughs> you you made something really scary. Um so we've we've had guys where the, the heat riser, I mean this thing that's this little chimney, they've decided to make them horizontal. And so so now it's like they think they think they have a rocket mass heater, but their heat riser is horizontal. So it has no way of being able to get those convective currents. Well, Doesn't rise mean to go up? That's what I always thought. <laughs> so I don't know what they think that they were doing, but they they're sure that they they know better than the rest of us. And then so we have seen some bizarre stuff, and and uh, people calling it rocket mass heaters, and it's kind of and so Ernie's famous line is, "Okay, why don't you build that in your backyard first, <laughs> and just try it out and see what happens." which you normally means that Ernie is sure you're going, if you put it in your home, you're going to die. But, oh, yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's largely because so many people that are doing this are, are permaculturists, and we just have this, I don't know, like innate need in permaculture to tweak stuff and play with it. But especially when you're dealing with something that can kill you, it's probably better to build it the way that you know that it works evaluate it, observe and interact and then maybe make some modifications um, if necessary at all because if you've got something as sufficient as it sounds like this is, it doesn't really seem like it needs a lot of messing around with but I do think in permaculture especially we just have this this need to play with stuff and in some instances that's very, very good and it leads to a lot of new ideas and function stacking and other cool stuff but in certain areas like we've, we've done that, right? So like you know, we're not going to build a swale on a nine-degree pitch, right? So we we, <laughs> we know how a swale works, and we might make it a little bigger or a little smaller, but it's going to be on level, or it's not a swale. I think rocket-mass heaters have certain ways they work, and if we change that, they're not rocket-mass heaters anymore. They're, you know, either poorly designed things that don't work really well or potentially great ways to burn your house down.
0: Well, I think beyond <clears throat> being a perme, which, of course, I want to count myself as a permie, Beyond that, then uh, I think that farmers, all farmers, have to be innovators, or else they're not going to be farmers anymore. I mean, it, it seems like every day there's something that goes wonky, and you need to. And it's like, well, I could fix this the right way, but that'd cost four thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> I have seventeen dollars, <laughs> but I yeah. do have a lot of baling twine and a bunch of crap up in the in the boneyard there. I think I could cobble something together to fix this for now. (laughs) And, and so this, this kind of innovation is definitely required all the time. And so we're, we're, so it's not just something that's limited to Permies. I think all, all farmers everywhere have this and Permies too. Um, and so there, there is that at the same time, I, I do, it does seem to be a theme that, that people feel like they get it and then they're going to go and innovate. And, uh, then they fail at innovation. Um, and, but then their failure is happening in their home. Um, on that note, on this terrible, on this note, I have to confess that we just had, uh, two rocket mass heater workshops at my place. And, um, uh, the first one was to build three innovative style, um, uh, rocket mass heaters using this pebble style that I came up with. And, um, uh, and then on top of that, Ernie and Erica b- very much like to shoot the exhaust out the roof. And I believe that we could get more efficiency by shooting it at the wall. And um, so, but there's problems with shooting it at the wall. And so basically it's kind of like, okay, so we're going to make three rocket mass heaters that are going to, we know, have problems. And then we need to fix those problems in order to be able to further push forward rocket mass heater knowledge. So, um, we're, we're, we're currently doing that. Uh, we've got one rocket mass heater. In fact, one that's just three feet from me and is warming this room as we speak. Um, it, it has both one out the wall, one out the roof, and then, uh, a lever that switches it back and forth to use either. And so you can see it real time. Like, okay, it goes from working to sucky to working to sucky. Okay. All right. We can see how much it sucks. Um, and so. Hopefully, I've I've got some ideas on how to make this awesome, and uh, in the next few weeks, I'll I'll start implementing those. Cool.
1: So, let's talk about, like, well, we've talked about how to build one the wrong way. If someone wants to do this, um, what's the right way to do this? What what should they be doing?
0: Ooh. um, Well, we've got lots and lots of recipes for right ways. Um, uh, We do – we just – I mean, of course, there's the book that's been out that's now oh I think it's like eight or nine years old um and we've come a long way since that book and a lot of the they had a lot of issues with the stuff in that book um Ernie and Erica have put together plans um we now have the four d v d set which which you, sir, are the supreme executive producer with bacon cheese and sparkles. I got
1: lots of sparkles too. I was pretty excited about all my sparkles. <laughs>
0: So, did you like the bacon confetti and the fireworks?
1: Definitely. I will. Mean, first of all, bacon. Right. <laughs> so you can't you can't ever do anything with bacon that I'm displeased with. I mean,
0: <laughs> so I think it turned out pretty good. I mean, the, so we're talking about the four DVD set, which you can get at stoves dot com, and um, when we did the Kickstarter for it, uh, it was basically we recorded a a workshop. And then people said, hey, could you, like, send us a copy of the video or something? <clears throat> or or could you video it? Could you please video it for us and send it to us? And it's like it just started turning in this massive job. So we did a Kickstarter, and we thought we'd get, like, 20 people that would be like, okay, I'll pay for it. And we got uh 900 people <laughs> who bought the four DVD set. And a lot of them came from the Survival part- Podcast. And so we made Jack the... The supreme executive producer with bacon, cheese, and sparkles. Because of that, so um, so when you watch the, if somebody were to buy the DVDs and watch it, then they can see that. But um, I have to warn people: it's a crappy recording. I was holding a video camera, <laughs> but I, I the the information's there, and and we've gotten a lot of reviews that have been very positive that, that about the content. But, but everybody's mad at me about the, the creativity, and Bart, the guy that does our videography work, he says, I'm not allowed to hold the camera ever again.
1: <laughs> but I would, I would agree with that. They make this thing, Paul, it's called a tripod.
0: I, and the I camera haven't.
1: goes on there, and then you don't have to hold it, you can just point it at something. It's, it's, it's really cool. I wouldn't call it a permaculture tool, but it kind of is, because you know those laser-level things? Those go on tripods, too.
0: Well, I, I actually, the camera was on a tripod the entire time.
1: Oh, About, okay.
0: about two-thirds of the time, I was using the tripod as a monopod um, ah. because I had to keep moving around and moving around and moving around. Ah, and yeah. uh, But there were a few times when I used it in full-on tripod mode, and then that's when it's really still. Um, ah. I think the thing that most upset people was that I didn't go around and put microphones on everybody or something yeah. like that. So it's like, yeah, well, I suck at this, okay? <laughs> but I got the damn video. <laughs> and so there. So there, it's done. It's available. Okay, so and now and now at stoves2.com you can go and buy it and stuff. And uh and you can see it. But but in that one, to answer your question, we're showing people how to make them. Um and uh but but the funny thing is is that when we were recording that a year ago, it's like we had made a big leap forward in uh, this this concept that we call a shippable core. And so the idea is that we could take these materials, put them in boxes, send them to somebody, and then the hardest parts are taken care of. And um, and it's like then we lined up somebody who was going to be the manufacturer and distributor, and that didn't work out. And we lined up somebody else, and that didn't work out. And we lined up somebody else, and that didn't work out. So, um, we're, we're currently in this space of like all kinds of people saying, I'll do it and no one's doing it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, uh, so w- right now, I think we've got two or three different people that are all each saying, I'm going to do it. And it's like, okay, you know what? At this point, I'll just believe it when I see it. So, um, um, in this last workshop, we're still doing these shippable core things. In fact, I just posted something out at permies.com where I've got pictures of a do it yourself shippable core. Um, that I made, which is just sitting in a wooden box, and then you just take it up and you hook it up to your mass, which has got the duct in it. And that's it. Um, And I used the dominantly clay and perlite and some firebrick to make this. Oh, and wool. Clay, perlite, and wool mix. And Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of important points that a lot of people seem to uh, overlook. One is the wood feed um, is needs to be about 16 inches tall, and um, in the past I even made the mistake of making the wood feed too short. I mean, if the sticks stick out, usually it burns just fine. But what'll happen is is sometimes the draw won't be strong enough. Yeah. And and then you'll start getting smoke back. And back. and yeah. then but if your wood feed is 16 inches tall, you can kind of put a brick over that, and then you don't get any smoke back. Ta-da! Problem solved. Um, so there's, there's that. The wood feed should be 16 inches exactly. Um, and, and because if you start getting it taller, then you're creating what we call a competing chimney. So you've got the, the, the main mega uber chimney that does all the magic for the whole system. And then you'll have this wood feed that's sitting parallel to it that suddenly getting to be tall enough that the, the fire and hot and smoke and the convective currents are kind of like, I'm not sure which way to go here, man. You know, because the other thing is, is while you push it through the chimney and the chimney has a, a strong push, a lot of people put too much duct in their systems. And now the chi- that, that, that push system, that pump, if you will, that convective passive pump suddenly has a lot of work to do. And it's a bit too much of a push. But if you've got a competing chimney outside, suddenly your system is like, oh, I'll just put the smoky bits right into the house. Yeah, no problem. I can do that. So um, I think that uh, the the key is, that's an important component, Um, a a relatively tall heat riser. In fact, the taller your riser is, the more powerful your pump is. But then if you make your riser too tall, it's hard to get the barrel over it. So um, uh, you start getting close to the ceiling too, which is like that thing's throwing off a lot of heat Mm -hmm. during the burn, so, oh, and I should point out that one of the big, big perks is not only do you use hardly any wood in these things, but it's like you build a fire at night and you burn for like an hour. And then the fire goes out and the room is very warm. And uh, you go to bed and you get up in the morning and it's like you went to bed and it was 72 uh, or 75. Let's say it's 75. Uh, and so you go to bed at 75 and you wake up in the morning at 68. Whereas with a conventional wood stove, then you, you go to bed and at 75, and you wake up in the morning and it's 45, and you're like, who is going to get out of bed and start the fire first?
1: <laughs> and nobody wants to get up. I I remember days like that. You know, we, we had a coal stove in Pennsylvania, and if it if it went down at all overnight, yeah, nobody wanted to get up and do it. Um, let's talk about some applications for this. I mean, obviously, you live in this place called Montana. And I, for those that don't own a map or a globe or anything, it's pretty far north and it gets pretty dead gone cold where you are. And if you live in a climate that gets cold, having one of these in your house, I don't really have to explain why that would be good. But I think that there's other applications for this. For I mean, where I live, my house, I believe, completely by accident because this, my house was built in 1979 and there's nothing remarkably energy efficient about it. But it has this really cool southern solar aspect and these really steep gable roofs. And the, the summer or the winter sun just pounds it. And we barely use heat. I mean, even when we get nights that go down in the 30s here, we barely turn heat on. Um, so I don't have a huge need for one of these things. But I think there's some things that even people in warmer clients might climates might want to do with these. They can be used for a lot of things, right? Like... There's a video, I don't know that you ever went back to this place and and filmed the follow-up, or if they even did the follow-up, but they were building one of these into a berm in the ground, basically, and then they were going to build a greenhouse over it.
0: Right. I've asked them six times, how's that greenhouse coming along? Oh, yeah, we still haven't started that. So this whole, Uh. this rocket mass heater is just sitting there. (laughs) And I guess, you know, they could just heat the outdoors if they wanted
1: to. But it would work in a green, I mean, in a small, not even a small greenhouse, in a greenhouse, especially if we go with the subterranean aspects as well. I mean, you're talking about you throw a, a night that you know is going to be cold, you throw a handful of wood in there, you fire that sucker up,
0: and you've got a very nice environment for your plants overnight. Uh, true, true. And I've seen, I've seen bunches of these in greenhouses now. Um, I personally am not an advocate of the greenhouse at all. But um, for those people that do the greenhouse thing, I, I would strongly advocate that you look into Mike Ayler's designs for greenhouses. He's got that book about the uh, about greenhouses in kind of a pit design, and then combine that <clears throat> with a possible rocket mass heater, and definitely, definitely, definitely exhaust it to the outside. Don't try to <laughs> exhaust it inside. Um, and so, but, but. The thing is, is that, yeah, if you want to do something where it's like, I'm going to raise tropical plants in Montana in a greenhouse, then um, I, I would think that uh, the merging of these two things is wise. So many people want to do a greenhouse where it's like, uh, oh, it's 12 feet tall and it just sits on this flat ground. And it's like, that's a lot of air to keep warm. Um, and and so, but the pit design that Mike Ehler comes up with, has very little air in the greenhouse and uh and the and the pit goes down so deep that it starts to do some of that heat exchange that's down in the pit. So it, it ends up being like it's difficult for uh the greenhouse to get colder than freezing. It's it's not impossible, but it's difficult. Just sure. just from that. <clears throat> so um there are there are lots and lots of, of other uses. I've I've seen them be um an outdoor only thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and where, where people, it's like, you know, you go outside and, and I've even seen where they, they took them and they put glass in them. And, uh, uh, so I'm sorry, did you say gra- glass or brass? Glass. Glass. Okay. Glass. So that way you can watch all the flamey bits while you're sitting on your butt. So, okay. so it's like, Ooh, it's warm and stuff. And it's like, if you're outside and it's a cool evening, um, and you've got friends over whatever you can eat outside and there's this warm thing and then you can sit on the bench part and it warms your butt and you can see all the flamey bits that like go, ooh, shiny, pretty. Look at the flamey bits. So, um, uh, I've seen that. Um, but I think outside is, is a, is a great place for it. Uh, another thing is, is let me give you
1: one that one of my students came up with during our urban design workshop. Oh, we're not sure if we're going to do this because it'd be a fairly expensive, well, we probably will do this. It's just a matter of when, because it's going to be somewhat expensive to do. They came up with the idea of doing a gazebo uh, for students to hang around and things like that and to build the wall partially up with, you know, uh, like a cob or something like that and then build more of a traditional gazebo over it, but then to run a rocket mass heater through the thermal mass. And, you know, you're not going to stand in there and be super toasty warm at all, but a therm- thermal mass is a great place for butts to go. And when you're out on a cold night and you're sitting around a, you know a, a typical campfire or something to tell stories or whatever, if that butt's warm, then you're pretty warm. And it, you know it seemed like kind of an interesting idea. And it, the first thing I thought of is the picture you talk about Ernie and Erica, where they have in their book, where they have this beautiful like seating arrangement in front of a window. I think you actually have that picture up on your forum, right. and that, that's kind of the thing they're talking about. the seating area we're sitting on this warm butt zone. Uh, but you're outside and, and that seems like kind of a cool idea. Well, I think
0: this is a great time to talk about the three different kinds of heat and, okay. and, and then let's talk about the efficiency of them. So most homes today, um, are Ziploc bags, which I think is a horrible idea, but they, but, but they're a Ziploc bag and the heating that they use is convective heat. So somewhere in your home, air is heated and then the, the, the warm air is blown throughout the house. This is the least efficient form of heating. The next most efficient, um, so the medium efficiency form of heating, is radiant heating. This is what the sun does. And so when you go out and it's a sunny day and you can feel the sun on your skin, that side is warm while the shaded side is not so warm. Um, at the same time, if you have a wood stove or a fire or anything like that, that you'll feel the radiant heat coming to you and heating you. So that's why while you're facing the fire or the wood stove, your front side gets nice and warm, but your back side gets chilled, and then you want to rotate yourself to cook the other side. So, you know, kind of need a spit or a rotisserie or something like that. Then the most efficient form of heating is conductive heat. So when you've heated that bench and then you go and you put somebody's butt on it, then even though it might be uh, cold, like the air could be really, really cold, the person will feel perfectly warm. Um, it heats their core, their circulation takes that heat and distributes it throughout the body. Um, and, and theres uh, I remember when I very first went to that first workshop I talked about earlier back in 2008 and uh, about rocket mass heaters, they told me a story of this place like in Sweden or Norway where uh, they, they were all doing a bench, a heated bench, and it was something like 20 below outside, and the building that they were in had a three-inch gap along the ceiling to the outside, but everybody felt perfectly warm. So the air temperature must be something probably below freezing, but everybody felt perfectly warm because they're experiencing the mighty power of conductive heat, and it's it's heating their core. So with a rocket mass heater, there's typically a mass where you could go and experience the power of conductive heat. Typically, it's shaped into a bench. Sometimes, some people run it under the floor. Um, and the one in my office that's that's here right now, it's something that you generally don't sit on. It's just a mass that you probably won't sit on. But but So I'm not going to take advantage of the conductive heat. But, you know, that's okay, too. It's going to be working dominantly as radiant heat and as convective heat. Um, so we're still going to use those kinds of heat. So does, just just not using the most efficient form of heat. Does this help paint the picture? Oh, it makes perfect
1: sense. And, and that's kind of how this thing would work. It's it, You're not going to really heat the air up outside around it. But what you've got is a public gathering space that naturally, you know, attracts butts to warmth.
0: <laughs> it, it
1: makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I look at, you know, what is the cost of building something like that? And, uh you know, where does it go in my overall design timeline? Because, you know, I, I don't I, we do OK, but I'm not going to be able to just roll out everything I want to do in one week. So, it, it, you know, it's when do we do this? But I, I think it's a very interesting idea and as we do, we'll probably do most of our workshops when you'll be, you know, uh, slumbering like a bear up there because it's the nice time of year for us is, you know, from about now through about, uh, May is, you know, the time of year we'll run our students through here. Uh, so there'll be a lot of nights that, you know, people like to be outside and enjoy that, but it does get a bit cool.
0: So I'm not sure, but I think you just said that on a cold day, a rocket mass heater is a butt magnet. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, for your outdoor stuff, I want to talk about pocket rockets for a moment. And so this is something that during our workshops, before we had the uh, rocket mass heaters built, that we ended up having like five pocket rockets running. And and so what this is, is it's a barrel, and um, there are two holes put into the the lid of the barrel on the top, and uh, one hole has a pipe that goes down into the barrel, and the other hole has a pipe that goes up out of the barrel. And so the one that goes down into the barrel is the one where you put your wood in, and then you get a fire going. And I've got some pictures on Permes where the bottom of this barrel starts to just glow red to yellow hot. Wow. And and so lots of radiant heat down low. And then of course the, the um the thing that goes out of the top, it starts you know doing that convective current thing. So a lot of air gets moving through here. But the air gets blown down very low into the barrel, so you have a very hot, quick fire. So this is a, a big hit. <clears throat> my my brother, who is uh, a, a, an excellent welder, has just gone crazy making specialty lids for these. And we've got some pictures out at com where he's frying eggs on the surface of a pocket rocket.
1: That's awesome. I, I I'm just looking at some of your pictures on your forum right now, Paul. I'm not finding any of them running, but... Uh, the forum thread I found was first try, and I just see it's it's pretty simple. Um, the design, it's what you described—a pipe in and a pipe out—and it looks like basic chimney piping, right? And I'm guessing that the wood being burned goes into the the downward hole, yes. And that's pretty much it. So you guys are are you guys then selling the lids basically, and these spit on a standard steel drum?
0: <laughs> no. No, I, I think uh, nobody here is currently in any kind of business of selling stuff like that, uh, um, uh, but, you know, other than the workshops, I guess, and, uh, yeah. but we had some... Does the, does the downward pipe go all the way to the
1: bottom, or is there a gap specifically that you leave between yeah. the... There's like a
0: five to six inch gap okay. uh, to the bottom, and... Uh, so.
1: This- Heat can go and the smoke can go. Okay.
0: Yeah. So the air, the air can go. So the, you know, the, the air movement because you're you're gonna. I mean, a lot of the rocket stuff, it's all about creating a strong airflow, a strong convective current, and with with strong. I mean, imagine if you will that like you're looking at your conventional wood stove, and you've got like um, I don't know, you've got your air compressor there, and then you start blowing air onto your fire. What's going to happen?
1: You know, I'm gonna move it,
0: it well I, I, I it's more like how does a, think about how a forge works and in fact you know so you've got a forge you've got a fan that blows air onto your burning coals and now your coals burn much hotter and and so um that's in fact here's a funny thing we made a j tube style rocket stove just so we can kind of compare it to a turkey cooker that you know, one of, those, one of those propane turkey cookers And um, it got so hot that this guy comes along and and we're doing it. And it's like, wow, look at the fire we got going here. We're boiling water so fast. So this guy comes along and he's a blacksmith. And he says, you know what? I got to try something. He grabs this chunk of metal that's probably about a half inch thick. And he he uh, um, puts it in there for like 30 seconds and he pulls it out and it's glowing bright orange. Oh, wow. And he says, you know what? I just spent a big gob of money buying coal for my forge, for my blacksmith stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to return it (laughs) somehow or sell it to somebody else. I want one of these that you have right here because there's no fan and I have lots of wood I can burn, but I have to buy the coal. And it's like, on, on top of that, instead of having a big gob of coal, we had just a few sticks I mean, just a tiny few little bit of sticks. Oh, and that reminds me. Some people heat their homes with nothing more than the sticks that naturally fall off the trees in their yard. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on your forum right now. I'm trying to
1: find pictures of this, this, this concept. And I've got a guy named Jeff on your forum here, who's in New Hampshire, which would be a good place to be warm, um, and he's got one he's built indoors. It's exactly what you described with the barrel, except it vents outside. And that's pretty amazing, honestly, because that's really a simplified system. I mean, this is something I think that anybody could figure out how to do in about a day at, yeah. at maximum. And if if you can't figure out how to do this particular thing after about a day, I'm going to say something that might make a couple of people unhappy, you, you you probably shouldn't be doing it. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's it's as basic as it gets, and I'm I'm thinking that, that one of these would be great out in my shop, or maybe even two, because it's like an 1,800 square foot shop.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're talking about the pocket rocket or the rocket mass heater.
1: The pocket rocket. The the yeah. but the guy's got it indoors. It's it's, it's on
0: your forum, Jeff. Yeah. Reacher uh, or something like that. So the pocket rocket is is really cool, and yeah, that's all, we, that's what we currently do. In fact, we made in, in one day at our workshop here. Uh, we needed a little extra housing so a bunch of guys got together and they built a porta cabin in a day um, uh-huh. and so it's just on skids uh we got two logs that we just kind of put the cat the cabin on these two logs we could drag it around and they put a pocket rocket in it that's that has uh that's that's you know uh, routed outside so they have a fire basically they have a wood stove inside but the pocket rockets uh the people that have wood stoves tend to like the pocket rockets better they just seem to be more efficient. You get warmer using less wood. Sure. So, uh, um, it's, it's, we've got a picture. I've got a picture on Permes of that little pocket rocket, which was, by the way, using a 120-pound grease can, which is much smaller than a 55-gallon drum, and uh, and it was glowing um, uh, bright red uh, when I took the picture. Uh, but the, the the pocket rockets are good. The rocket mass heaters are better um sure. because now you're taking all the exhaust and you're routing it through a ma- mass trying to extract every ounce of heat before the exhaust goes outside. And uh then the next thing cuz when that pocket rocket goes out you're going to get cold. I mean it's going to Yeah, it's gonna I, get, I get that. <clears throat> whereas with the the mass on the rocket mass heater I mean after a 1-hour burn the mass is frequently putting out temperatures of like 120 to 130 degrees. And, sure. and it'll continue to put out heat for a day or two, depending on the kind of mass. Now, the cob based mass has been the standard uh, up until recently when I've come out with this Pebble-based mass. I, we believe this will be the first time, these three these rocket mass heaters we have here at my farm now, uh, this will be the first time that I'm aware of that the Pebble style is going to get used all winter long. And so far, we, we've got the mass heated up, uh, in the office, and it's doing pretty good. But I think it doesn't do as good as Cobb, but still pretty good. The Pebble style uh, has some benefits over the Cobb style. One is, is that we believe that a rocket mass heater that's been made with the Pebble style stuff can be dismantled and put onto a truck in an hour. And then when you get to a new destination, it can be rebuilt in about an hour. And so we've got videos on YouTube demonstrating this. As well as the, um, the rocket mass heater, uh, the, the four DVD set has some of that in it too. So, uh, but this is a new thing. This is a new and experimental thing. Cobb is the old school way. And, uh, Cobb, I mean, I I imagine your listeners are very familiar with Cobb. You've probably talked about Cobb lots. Sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, the Cobb style, um, uh, takes, extracts the heat from the duct much better and, and holds it much longer. Um, and, but, but it'll, it'll hold a temperature of like 120, 130 degrees for several days. I've been to places where it's like there hasn't been a fire in this for two days and it's still too hot to touch. So if you're going to sit on it, you'll put a cushion on it and then sit on that. Now, earlier when I was talking about heating your home with nothing but the twigs that actually fall off your trees, I want to emphasize the point about how we're used to doing wood heat and that's load up the truck and the chainsaw go on out and you're going to do like four or five trips and uh, you're going to, you're going to make all these sheds to hold all your wood to get you through the winter. And you got to get your wood good and dry. Um, there's a guy who heated his home all winter with nothing but junk mail. He just, <laughs> just took the junk mail that came in his mailbox. That's all he used to heat his home. It is bizarre how efficient this is. Now you're getting excited about the pocket rocket, which I think, Everybody who's experienced a pocket rocket, they are in love at first sight. And then the thing is, is that the rocket mass heater takes, like, ten times longer to build, for the first sure. time at least, but it also doubles your efficiency over a pocket rocket because it's oh, grabbing. I think they have
1: different applications, though. So, like, if you're trying to keep a house nice and toasty warm at night, then, then obviously that makes a lot of sense to dump it into that thermal mass. If you have a shop building that you might be in for, like, a couple hours, and then you're going to leave, and you don't really care that it gets cold in there after that. Then the the, the quick and expediency of these things that you just you know kind of turn me on to uh, it, it, it's application dependent situation. I think.
0: Oh yeah. Now the um the rocket mass heater will put out approximately the same amount of heat uh, as a pocket rocket during the burn. Okay. Okay. It's just that the rocket mass heater will continue to put out heat for days after the burn, um and so yeah you're right, you're right, and plus the rocket mass heater takes a you know a lot more materials and uh time to construct than the pocket rocket. I mean the pocket rocket is something you can build in about twelve minutes, yeah, so um yeah. and i'll I'll bet Ernie could probably do it in under seven. <laughs> But because he's probably built, I think, I think Ernie's probably built 400 pocket rockets. Um, and so yeah, after you build a few that it gets a little faster each time. Um, but yeah, the rocket mass heater, I think is, uh, the, the, the thing for inside your home. I, I, I'm trying to imagine like, uh, because basically a pocket rocket is going to be, uh, better than, a, a conventional wood stove, but it still has the main suck part of a conventional wood stove in that. When the fire goes out, it gets cold. So uh, now I
1: think now that dude that I was talking about on your site, Paul, you might want to I don't know if you saw that thread, but he built one of those. He also took a conventional wood stove and, and basically put a bell on it that was a rocket stove. So he turned a conventional wood stove, I guess that was already there into a rocket stove, which meant everything was already in place. It's
0: kind of cool. Yeah, there's been some people. So Ernie started this where it was like uh,
1: <clears throat>
0: taking some conventional wood stoves and making some modifications in order to convert it into something that's much closer to a uh, a rocket mass heater or um <clears throat> something uh, closer to uh, a pocket rocket. And um, the, the the bottom line is is that we still haven't been able to get those to burn quite as cleanly. Or, Mm -hmm. or completely as a rocket mass heater. But, um, I think, I think that, in fact, I got one video on YouTube that shows the hybrid where we've taken a conventional wood stove and modified it to be, um, uh, closer to a rocket mass heater. And, and if nothing else, when you watch the video, and it's like an eight minute long video, it kind of gives you a clear idea of how and why, uh, the rocket mass heater works. Um, now I think I think another thing to throw into this point and this is very you know on the right I I think I believe at this point in time that this uh that the rocket mass heater is the most sustainable way to heat a conventional home at this time and um and if you want to say passive solar then you've just modified your home so it violated the terms but you can take a conventional home and make some changes to it to be more, more of a passive solar. But I think, I think even, even when you're talking about a conventional home with a rocket mass heater versus a passive solar home, I, I think it's possible the rocket mass heater in the conventional home might still win, um, as far as sustainability because you just used less materials that, you know, and cheaper materials. I mean, most people who build a rocket mass heater, they spend about 200 bucks making it. Um, and, uh, and it's usually, like, not even a full weekend, uh, to build one.
1: <clears throat> well, and we have these things called clouds. I don't know if you've ever seen any of them, but they're these great big puffy things, and sometimes they roll in for a really, really long time, and anything solar, passive solar, solar photovoltaic, whatever, it, it, you know, doesn't work as good when these big cloud things, again, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they, they come around
0: once in a while. This is uh this is big sky country here in Montana yeah. and I think that there's a law against them. I'm not sure okay but they do yeah. roll in these these illegal clouds once in a while I've seen them <laughs> and I wonder if the government is gonna do something about it. the police are gonna go handcuff the clouds. I'm not sure how that works. this is big sky country damn it so you know and, and when you were here did it seem to you like the sky was bigger? Yeah, I,
1: I, I get why people say that. It's a lot to do with the topography. The, uh, the, uh, I think the latitude has something to do with it as well. Um, you can just see for a long, long way. Um, we have parts of Texas like that, but generally there's not a lot of mountains to go with them, and I think that takes something away from it.
0: See, I, I just think it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why, but the sky does seem bigger. You can definitely see where it gets its its its, uh, its name from. Yeah, there's something weird going on. Um, <laughs> and technically, the sky should be smaller because you're usually sitting at the bottom of some, you know, bunch of mountains, uh, hence Montana, which supposedly is some foreign word for mountain.
1: Um, if I could back you up just a little bit on these pocket rockets, do you do, you do anything with the bottom of the dadgum thing to, because uh, I'm looking at one on a picture, and you're, you're not wrong. The bottom is like, Glowing red, flaming hatred thing, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, potential for failure there or something, or is it, you know, it's a temporary solution anyway, or?
0: You know, that's a that's a great question. The uh, one of the editors at Mother Earth News uh, emailed me about six months ago and said, "Do you remember some stuff that we did about um, uh, using barrels and wood stoves and?" And, and, and I, I wrote back and I said, well, I do remember that you had an article like 20 years ago and you caught all <laughs> kinds of hell because the barrels would start to rust out in like a year and a half. And then suddenly they're leaking all over and they sucked. And so, um, we exchanged a bunch of emails in that space. But, but here's the thing is that the barrels that are being used in a rocket mass heater, so far we have yet to hear of one rusting out or developing a hole. Now uh and so then that's that's been weird don't know exactly yeah. why um uh, cuz cause there cuz cause the exhaust is steam and carbon dioxide and of course any paint that's on the barrel is burned out right away it's got
1: to be gone yeah i mean this thing i'm looking at right now looks like luke put his lightsaber in contact with
0: it for a while it's it's yeah it it's
1: it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 amazingly impressive
0: so <laughs> uh we haven't had any reports of any of them getting burned out, like the barrel getting burned out. We have had reports of people uh, making a heat riser out of duct and the duct getting burned out. Oh. Um, uh, but that's for a rocket mass heater. Um, when yeah. it comes to using um, a pocket rocket, we've had people who have used a, just a regular old duct to be the downward tube and and that getting burned out. But okay. not the barrel. Huh, interesting. So, but if, uh, uh, the thing that we typically do though is that if the barrel is going to be, I don't know, for all, anything but outside, then we'll usually put it up on some bricks. Sure. You know, because it does get really hot.
1: Yeah, it does. I, I'm actually kind of blown away with the way I, it's not on your site. It's just a, a picture on, uh, I think it's Canadian Dirt Bags is the website. And, and the, uh, <laughs> I didn't call them that. They, it's their, that's their name: CanadianDirtbags.wordpress.com. And uh, I'll put a link to all your stuff I can find. And, and just this picture of this freaking barrel—it's, uh, it's like a fuchsia color. <laughs> and there's, there's, you know, you have to have a lot of heat to get fuchsia. I don't know if you're familiar with fuchsia, but. Uh...
0: I, I would be embarrassed to know what fuchsia is, I think. Yeah, you'll know
1: if you see this. It's the only thing you could come up with to describe it. This is awesome stuff, dude. I definitely think if people haven't gotten your uh, your DVD series yet, they should. And And we actually have a special deal for MSB members. Or you can save a few bucks on it. So if you're going to pick it up after hearing this today and you're an MSB member, you know, get your discount. And if you're going to pick it up and you're not an MSB member, it might be a great first discount. If you became an MSB member, that would be cool too. And, uh, I, I think that there's probably, you would agree, a lot of innovation left yet in, in this technology. Like we're kind of on the forefronts of it. You know, we talked about not trying to change it before you figure it out first, but I mean, do you think there's, you know, some new innovations coming and some of the stuff you've already talked about, it it kind of shows that, right?
0: We are, I I think right now the primary stuff that I'm focused on is the shippable core because I think if you're going to do it without a shippable core, you need like a DIY level of seven And, and then it's like, but with the shippable core, then you can do it with a DIY level three. And,
1: yeah. and it's Explain like, what you mean, because I know exactly <clears throat> by a should cord because I've seen your videos, and I know the... But just kind of explain the part you're talking about that would be like this
0: off-the-shelf product that you would then build the rest of the system around. I think, I think the, the, the piece that is the hardest for people to wrap their heads around is what we call the manifold. And that's where we take the exhaust that's coming down out of the barrel and route it into the duct. Now, if you're building this out of cob, then it's like, oh, it's just, you're just doing like Play-Doh action. You just shape it and you, cause you can shape it in anything you want. And then as soon as heat gets applied to it, all your Play-Doh turns to rock and, and then that just goes forever. No problem. But, um, and so people with a DIY level of seven are like, no problem. I'm going to totally do that. But then people with a DIY level of three is, are like, I don't get it what it's it's like it's baffling um so I think the other thing is 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 like we're talking about a, a bunch of interesting things here all at once, and I think that if somebody just gets a shippable core, it arrives at their house, they stick the heat riser on that, put the barrel over that, and hook the duct up to it they're done it's it's easy everything from there is easy. For you know, for on the duct you need a mass. Is it gonna be cob or pebbles? You choose and um done. That's all there is to it. But then if you're gonna make the core yourself, then it's kinda of like, well, the dimensions need to be just right for this to work. And um we don't go into it in detail in the DVDs, but we do go into it in detail on the plans from Ernie and Erica's site. We'd go into into a, a lot of detail on the uh, on the book that's eight years old, um, and uh, I think we talk about it a lot at the forums at Permes. Now we've got a forum called Rocket Stoves at Permes, and there is tons of discussion there on this. And uh, oh, and I should I should point out that if anybody ever has a question about any detail on rocket mass heaters, that post it at Permes. If you don't receive an Excellent answer within 48 hours on any topic, anywhere on Permies. Post to the Tinkering Forum and say, I hereby invoke the 48-hour rule. And, <laughs> and, and then point, and then make a link to your thread, and then we either I will answer it myself or I will find the expert and bring them in and have them answer that question. We want to make sure that every question that, that's posted gets an excellent answer. And, um, so this is, this forum is extremely active with a lot of people that are doing a lot of innovations, valid innovations. Um, unlike if you go out to YouTube, it's hard to tell who are, like, like there's a lot of people saying, look what I am making. And that's what the video is. I am making what I call a rocket mass heater. And then Ernie and Eric and I will watch it and it's like, no, you're not. (laughs) You're totally not. You're making, (laughs) you're making a mess. Here's a tip. If it's welded metal, it's not a rocket mass heater. So ah. if, you're, if you're a burn tunnel or wood feed or metal, it is not a rocket mass heater. If your heat riser is metal, it's not a rocket mass heater. I mean, the thing is, is steel melts at 2,600 degrees, and we're trying to get temperatures that exceed 2,600 degrees. So it's like, um, yeah, liquid steel does not a riser make. Um so there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh, look at what I'm making." And so it's hard to differentiate between the uh the actual rocket mass heater stuff and the freak shows of flaming death. <laughs> well, again, that's another reason
1: I think that people that are really interested in this should pick up your DVD series, Paul. Um, I think we we've, we've beat this topic pretty hard before we uh before we sign off. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the other things that you're doing and uh uh, Wheatnopia, or whatever you're calling it up there, and in, uh, in your, your new uh, kingdom uh, in uh, in Montana.
0: <laughs> so uh, here at the laboratory, um, we've got. I mean, one of the things is any any day now we're going to get the permaculture playing cards back from the printer. Um, you've already told your people about that on uh, yeah. previous podcast, and uh, but we're we're just waiting for the printer to get done. I they did send me. A uh a deck that's like for for sampling and, and, and stuff like that. I don't know if people you can, you can hear that. So I've got a deck here. They are of course beautiful and profound. Uh but for the fun things we're doing, the Wafati, the first ever Wafati is almost complete. Uh you had me do a podcast about the Wafati a couple of years ago. And um my my brother will be moving into this in a couple of days. Um awesome. And this is a structure that is um, nigh invisible on the outside. It looks like a hillside with trees and shrubs. And when you're inside, it looks like a log cabin with lots and lots of um, uh, glass. And, awesome. and in Montana, it should require no heat whatsoever. Um, and if you were to build this in say Florida or someplace really hot, it should be a, a, a something where you don't need any air conditioning whatsoever.
1: So well, this is something I'm definitely, once you get it finished, gonna I'm going to have to hop on a plane again at some point, come up there and, and really take a look at it, because as we're working at putting together Ethos, one of the things we, we're really kind of surmising is to taking this to an off-grid community, because a lot of the, well, you know the guy that shows up, goes, I'm here from the government to make sure you're doing everything correctly. He goes away, and... Uh, and a lot of sustainability comes from that as well. So that's something I'm very interested in because I've heard you talk about one, but I've never
0: actually seen one get built. So the fact that you are that close is awesome. Well, we've got gobs and gobs of pictures of it under construction at Hermes right now. And, uh, the, the, the big thing is, is that this does not, in fact, we're specifically, we, we very specifically picked a spot that is not south facing. This, oh, okay. this is not passive solar. We don't want any passive solar touching this thing. No passive solar is allowed. This is annualized thermal inertia. And so we want to use the heat from the summer to heat this structure through the winter. That is the mission. So we've well, we got that. Um, for the workshops, we needed some showers. So we built a uh, uh, four showers on skids so we could drag the showers around wherever we wanted to, to put them. And uh, we, we built a compost pile. And we, we put a bunch of, uh, tubing in the, in the compost pile. So the hot water, uh, in, in fact, it was in two days, we had very warm water. And on the third day, we had water that was so hot, it would scald you. Um, and so, uh, that's what we used to heat the showers. We also had a little sink there. Uh, we also have, uh, two, uh, porta poopers. Um, and it's got a guy's side and a gal side. The gal side has urine diversion. The guy's side doesn't. Um, and the idea is no urine in the system. Um, and, uh, um, what else have we got? We've been building. Oh, you did the Porta Shack. So the one picture is the, um, uh, the, the, the Porta cabin. It's got a little pocket rocket in it that's blowing, um, reddish, orangish. And, um, we built that in a day. Uh, so like at 9 a.m., it was this stick on the ground. And so basically we put on log skids and we, we drug it around to put it where we wanted it. Um, and we, and now it's been, uh, christened to the Love Shack. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, um, oh, I think one of the coolest things we've done is in this. audit We call it the auditorium, but it's really just a really massive shop. Uh, we've we've got these shelves that are twelve feet tall and then eight feet wide and four feet deep, and um, on casters, and we can roll them around wherever we want. So at one point in time, um, we did the, the um, we had some construction still going on and needed the space in the auditorium. Uh, and at the same time, we're doing a rocket mass heater workshop. So we just rearranged these these shelves so that it made something like a wall. And uh, uh, then on one side, we were doing construction. On the other side, we we're doing the workshop. Later, we had the Farmstead Meatsmith workshop going on. And then um, we uh, needed some space to do some rocket mass heater innovation. So again, we just shuffled things around. And we made like Erica, her own little personal laboratory and then while in the meantime, the rest of the shop is being used so that people could butcher hogs. And mm. um, so this has been rather brilliant. In fact, one night we had somebody who was apparently snoring and a couple couldn't stand the snoring anymore. So they got up at midnight. They went down to the auditorium and they just put an air mattress on one of the shelves <laughs> and they slept there. <laughs> It's like, uh, it's, it's been, these shelves have been so cool. Um, it's one of, one of my prouder achievements, I think. Um, awesome. Anyways, that I, I, I'm sure there's like 40 things I'm not thinking of right now, but it just, it just goes on and on and on. You're, I know you're about to do an earthworks workshop. Um, we're currently talking about possibly doing an earthworks workshop next year. Uh, we're already scheduling our Wafati workshops for next year. Um, and more rocket mass heater stuff, uh, and as well as more farm simmies, et cetera, et cetera. You know how it goes. Lots and lots of stuff happening. Oh, and, and then we've got one rocket mass heater set up, uh, in a teepee. And a couple is going to live in the teepee all winter long in Montana. And in the spring we're going to ask them, so, how was it? Were you comfortable? Hmm. So. <laughs> But this is this is what we do. Lots of innovating, lots of experimenting. Let's see how everything works works out.
1: Cool. I mean, that's what it's all about. Is there's so many things yet to be discovered, and I love what you're doing. Now you if you want to, real quick, you can plug your thing you're doing up. But you got a thing called Deep Roots. You want to tell people about that?
0: Oh, this is kind of similar to your thing, isn't
1: it? Yes, yeah, similar. I, I it's tried- the same but different. In the words of Tommy Chong, <laughs> it's exactly
0: the same but completely different. Correct. Yes. Um. So. What we have is, is something where people can get an acre uh, for twenty grand, and um, uh, but they have to have listened to at least ninety percent of my podcast so that they can decide whether or not they can tolerate my tyranny for the rest of their lives. And um, uh, but but it's not like you, you're not buying an acre; you don't own the acre; you're renting it, and it falls subject to my tyranny. Um, and so I, I so there's we've already got four different. People, four, not four different people, it's four different entities, if you will. So, three couples and one individual who have signed up for this. And, um, and we, I mean, we, I just got the property a few months ago. Um, and the idea, I mean, a lot of people, they go out to try and buy property somewhere. And first of all, it's like, okay, you're going to have to shell out 80 grand just for bare land. And then, oh, by the way, your next door neighbor loves to spray everything. And, but don't worry. They'll give you a notice when the overspray days are going to happen. They'll let you know. Yeah. And, and it's like, and you're going to get oversprayed and there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, every property has all these problems from your neighbors. And, um, and not to mention the fact that, you know, the department of making you sad wants to show up and tell you how you're, you're not allowed to do whatever it is you want to do. Sure. Um, so yeah, bring in Q Joel Salas and everything I want to do is illegal. So in this particular case, we have, uh, 200 acres and, um, uh, and we're surrounded by forest service land or, um, uh, you know, timber company land. Um, and so on the 200 acres and it's like somebody can have their acre. And so they're, they're thoroughly surrounded by my empire. Um, and, but then this is only for people who think that whatever it is that they want to do is well within my comfort zone. And, um, and, and so it's all started with the idea of that thing. I I don't know if you ever read about my husp stuff, but what I wanted is I wanted people to come in and they have an acre and they get to express their artisan view in seed and soil. So, you know, it's like, well, I think that the way it should be done is with lots of swales. And the next person over is like, well, I think it should be lots of ponds. Next person over is, I think it needs to be lots of this other, whatever it is. And so then each person can express their view their position because I, I think that the problem that we have in so much of permaculture is people want to be collaborative and I don't think it should be collaborative. I think what it should be is each person is an individual and each person has individual artistic thought. They have a vision and I want to see those visions happen. I want to see what somebody's vision is like and and then I want to steal their ideas, of course, and I want everybody to steal everybody's ideas on the property and then all of this innovation can move forward much faster. I think that designing things by committee is the death of innovation, and so I want to have a place that can facilitate creative thought. Does that help I, you know
1: no, that makes perfect sense that 's why you know it's the same but different our Our concept is also broken down to an acre. Uh, we're also doing a lease model, but it's a 99 year renewable lease, a pretty low cost of entry. But it's the same concept. We want a, a, a component of the, of the property to be a community component where people can, you know, share resources and things like that. But everybody has their own place. And if you want a Lafotti, go put one in. And if you want to do a tiny house, go put one in. If you want to build something more conventional, Go put one in, and, and, and we're going to try to do everything we can to make the Department of Making You Sad not show up. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's what, you know, there's the public facing side, and they can come there, and this is for members only, and I don't think you need to go there. And, you well, know, how, what kind of subdivision? It's not a subdivision because nobody owns the land. We own the land, and it's just one big piece of property, and people stay here, and they have a right to stay here and go by. Um, with the the concept that there is a lot of advantage let's say if you have an acre well you're not going to put in a 4 acre lake right but one person doesn't really need a four acre lake exclusively to themselves. So if we put in a four acre lake and you can come there and look at it and use it and fish in it and go out on a boat on it or take a walk around on it or, you know, partake in the ducks that are upon lake for consumption and things like that, that's great. And you still have this place where, because what people always say when you talk about these communities is, I don't want to do things the way you do. I want to do things the way that I do. And our belief is as long as you're not harming your neighbor, do as thou wilt. And, you know, if you bring the kind of people in, I think, you know, you and I have different uh, overlord capacities. But anybody that would be willing to come there and deal with me probably isn't going to be bothering, you know, Bob across from them or what have you. And we have a resolution methodology for that, which is I really hope that I don't ever have to do it, but I will. Uh, and you might not like it. I think you have the same philosophy that, you know, it cut the baby in half like King Solomon or what have you. It would be much better if you two could figure this out for yourselves.
0: I I, uh, I think that my overlord thing is far more devious and evil than yours. So you'll be yes. the kinder, gentler over- overlord. Yes. Um, uh, mine is not for 99 years. Mine is for... Um, uh, until either party wants to end the relationship. Well, there's always that, that, that's, that's something we allow us
1: for. You're not stuck for 90 years. You're guaranteed. Uh, it's, it's, it's a way to give a person. So let me tell you what got me into this, this, this way of thinking. Uh, When I, I met you and I was up at, uh, Jake Jackie's thing, which, after that, I decided that Jackie's a really great guy, but I would never touch a Public Works project ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, but you came around as,
0: to my way of thinking, did
1: well, you? Well, no, I felt that way when you were there, but I'm also like, I'm here now. I have to. We, we're going to go forward and do this the way we have to and get this project buttoned down. But one of Dave's presentations, he started showing community gardens around the world and how they would differ from America. And he showed this place. It was, I think... Switzerland or Sweden, one or the other, um, and they have these community gardens there. And you don't rent a little four-by-eight square outside of a church for a year for 15 bucks. You get a 99-year lease that's guaranteed renewable and inheritable and transferable. So the person has this feeling of permanence, right? That they have like a vested in, it. and it's not a little spot. It's like maybe the size of uh, of a big living room, your 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 allotment or your piece that you get. And people had little cabins built there, and it was gorgeous, and it was like its own little thriving village that people would come live in for four or five weeks at a time seasonally when they would be harvesting their stuff and things like that. And I realized that if people had this sense of ownership, even though they technically don't own it, that they would put a lot more into it. So we came up with this concept of this 99-year guaranteed renewable lease, which – also opens up through some creative channels the potential for some financing for construction that you may not normally have available. So that's where we came up with that, and you know I owe that to Dave Jackie. It's one of the coolest things I actually learned from him.
0: I I think you and I can fill two hours talking about our experience in Helena for that event. <laughs> um, and and I think that Dave Jackie's got a lot of strength. And I and you know and of course the thing I kept harping on you about, I'd grab you by the lapels and say. More earthworks! Yeah. And,
1: yeah. yeah so and I'm going, you don't understand. They want this building and that building and this pathway and a playground and it's only an acre and a half and they want 5,000 feet of community garden space and it's, 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 it's the case though. So this is, I'll tell you my, my brilliant brainchild way to do the first ever real public food forest in a city. The first thing you do is don't involve the city. Like the city (laughs) doesn't get to say anything about it, right? You get together some donors that want to make this happen and you fundraise for it and you find a plot of land in the city that's currently just sucks and it just needs, which that's one thing that that piece of land had going for it. It did suck. And you just buy it. And then you perma blitz it in a weekend. And you do it on a weekend when all the bureaucrats are at home in bed. And they have no time to get in the way with what you're doing, and you just do it. You just end-to-end, end, like one of those home makeover shows where they do it in like a weekend. Like one end to the other, freaking hoogles, swales, ponds, done. And then you call a press conference on Monday morning, and you give it to the city in front of the press. They can't tear it down now, Paul. They're screwed. <laughs> right? And you have enough money put aside for like two years of maintenance on it. You have a contract with a maintenance company to do the maintenance who will do it permaculture style. And there's, it's done. It's, it's, there it is. I've given it to the city and it's now yours. And at that point, they're stuck with it. Yeah. Right? If you try to do this on your own and say, I'm going to retain ownership of it and open it up to the public, they'll be in there tearing your stuff out, saying it doesn't need code, whatever. When you've, when you've made this big public spectacle, if I have given this gift to the city of X, Y, Z, at that point, they're like, ugh. And now you have a food forest in the middle of a city. And I think that's really the only way to do it in our current paradigm. Because the levels of absolute bullshit oh, yeah. that were going on from all these different stakeholders, just like, oh... Why are you people making something so simple, so difficult? Because I'm with you. If I had been doing that project on my own, day one, beep, beep, there would have been an excavator coming off of a low boy, and it would have just been done. But you can't do public works that way. And it's. You learn a lot, like, one thing that Dave actually taught me a lot about is the social components of a design. If it's not just for you, then you do have to think about access for other people. You have to think about stakeholder positions and all. I just came to the conclusion that I don't want to do it.
0: But see, now You guys kept saying that all these people want all these different things, and my position was is that how are they going to learn if you don't tell them how you're going to meet what they really want only the things that are coming out of their pie hole aren't going to be the things they want. I mean, they want permaculture.
1: But this is what you – see, this is what you – this is why I don't like public works. So you have like seven major stakeholders in this project. And any one of them, if they get their ass ruffled the wrong way, could just basically go, no, and shut the whole thing down and it doesn't happen. Right. And as a paying student to a workshop, it's not my place to shut down the project by pissing somebody off – that everybody else has so much energy vested into. So we worked within the restrictions. So just like you wouldn't put in a swale uh on a piece of property that wasn't suited for a swale, that was that's a design restriction. So I just looked at all these people as design restrictions and said with all these restrictions, this is this is what we could do. And then, you know, we had Dave trying to make us think, so we came up with the best we could and then he took our designs away and gave them to somebody else and gave us the design we hated the most and said, make this one better, which was actually an interesting challenge to be given like a design that I thought was total crap. And by the end of it, go, well, it's it does what it's supposed to do now um, is a unique guy. And it's it's not my methodology. I try to work more with the student uh, as far as like if you think this is the way to go, then let's let's take it from there. Um, But it did change a lot of my perspective, and it, it did challenge me in ways that were quite interesting. But my takeaway from it is public works go away. I don't want yeah, no, anything no.
0: to do with a public works project ever again. Here's Here's how you do public works, is that you erect a 16-foot tall fence around the area, and you say art is going on inside. There is an <laughs> artist at work. You don't get to look until it's all yeah. done. I mean – this is how innovation has to work. <clears throat> and, I mean, yeah, like, but it doesn't work that way. In when when taxpayer
1: money gets involved, everything has to be approved before it gets done.
0: That's yes. why I said the only way to do it is to do right. it and then give it to them. Well, we were just talking a moment ago about how everything innovative is destroyed by committee. And, yes. and I'm sure it's... destroyed by governments too, Paul. Which, so is, which is a big community. I mean, big committee. Yeah. And and it's like it's not an absolute truth, but there's, a, there's an enormous amount of truth to it. I think that like when we go, when we talk about the world of software development, it's like, oh, you show up and then you've got to, you've got to run your badge or meet, see a guy as you're going to go park your car. Then you park your car and then you walk up to the campus and there's a big fence around the campus and you got to badge in to get through that thing. Then you get to your building, you got to badge in to get to the building. And then you got a badge to get to your floor and then you got a badge to get to this segment. Now you're working with your team and it's like no one else is allowed in this area except for your team. And then you do all your innovating in that space until um, a product is out, and then the, the the marketing department and the sales team then run with it, and that's that's how it's done. And so it's like the thing is, is that if you were to do all your innovating out in a place where the public can come and look, you'll get shut down in a day, and because they're going to say, "Well, what are you doing?" and they'll say, "I'm doing this." Well, you're not allowed to do that, and it's like, really, there's. You know, there's going to be all kinds of people saying you 're not allowed to do that, even though it's totally legal and okay for you to do that that 's just their default thing it's mm-hmm. it's like the it's like the story about the gorillas and the banana i'm sure you 've done this story before a hundred times um where you 've got the five gorillas and you 've got a ladder and there 's a banana uh hanging from the ceiling at the top of the ladder. Have you heard? You've heard this, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: They, they, the first gorilla goes to climb up. You spray his ass down with a guard or with a fire, fire hose. Fire hose, right? You spray, and you all, spray all, the, all the gorillas with a fire hose. hose. You take one gorilla away, right? And you put a new gorilla in there, and the, he tries to climb up the ladder. And the other four gorillas grab him and like say, "Dude, you you don't want this." Yeah, they and up. they keep changing gorillas out, and eventually, all five gorillas have never been sprayed with a fire hose. But none
0: of them will let the other ones go up the ladder, and none of them know why. <laughs> so there's two morals to the story. One moral is that um, you're not allowed to do any innovation, and nobody knows why. Um, and and then the other moral of the story is you're not allowed to do any innovation, and nobody knows why. But there is a very good reason. <laughs> <laughs> the fire hose.
1: <laughs> I, I thought that the reason, the moral was to be nice to gorillas. <laughs>
0: Stop being so nasty to the gorillas, especially those fictitious ones that live out in Mister Rogers' Land of Make Believe. Yeah. So well, I, I don't want to beat this one up too more. I think
1: we've gone on for about an hour and a half here, so it is time to wrap up, dude. But uh, I, I think we're in agreement on public works. It sucks, and I don't want to do it. And God bless the people who will, because I, it is a, it is necessary. But I kind of feel like you. Like, I know what I want to do when I look at a piece of property, and I don't want anybody giving me any crap about it. I just want to get it done. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to explain. The big thing with public works is now I have to try to explain permaculture and the why behind the design element to someone with no knowledge of permaculture, which is like bringing Einstein in, not to compare myself to Einstein, but just so people can get it in their head, bring Einstein in, ask him to do a calculation, and then having someone that doesn't know basic math question the calculations before he's done with the formula. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. And even if he tried to explain it to you, you're not going to get it unless you went back and studied calculus and, you know, you st- you know uh, you know the theory of relativity and all that other stuff and, le- and then learned that. And if you did know that, you would have looked at it in the first place and just said, right, go on with yourself. And and it's it's all but impossible to try to explain things like, I know that everything about your world in civil engineering has been to make water go away. For 30 years, you've been trying to make all the water go away. We want the water to stay here, and these are the ways that we do it. And they just start freaking out. And you just, I can't work that way. Like, Again, yeah, God bless the people who can, but there's plenty of land out
0: there that doesn't involve bureaucracy, and it needs love too. So I I went out there just to shake Dave Jackie's hand, maybe visit with him a little bit, see what his style is like, uh, things like that, because um, he's made major contributions to the permaculture world, and I just wanted to meet him, and he's only, he was only two hours away, so it's kind of like okay, I'm going to go. Out, then and then I was told, oh, you have to come on this day, and <laughs> and it's like. Um, all right. I could, I could do that. I could do that. So next thing you know, I am an observer for more than I really wanted to be observer for. But the one thing I learned is that my vision for that property was radically different from Dave's and I think radically different from anybody else there. And, um, and I, th- and Dave didn't want to hear my position. No. Um, and, uh, Paul, I love you. And I didn't want to hear your position <laughs> because
1: you hadn't been through the three days of dealing with the bullshit and you had no idea what we were dealing with.
0: My, uh, my, along the lines of docking the government, my thinking was is that you guys should stop doing what all of these stakeholders are telling you. And it should be the other way. You need to tell the stakeholders how they don't have enough knowledge about permaculture to really understand what, what you're doing. Plus, the and then they is,
1: say, we're sorry, we thought that we were going to do this with you, but now we're
0: not go away that's, and, fine. And that's what you couldn't understand <laughs> your your terms are acceptable <laughs> I am leaving yeah. uh, I, and so basically yeah much like what you're saying is like if I'm going to come and do this I'm going to put a a border around the thing and I'm going to do my vision
1: and and and, then uh, you will, and and here's the reality then you need to come on my side of things public work sucks because you yeah, will yeah. never no, no, no. ever ever Ever, ever get to do a public works project that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless it – do it exactly the way that you said. Here's yeah, a gift. You, it's not public works. It's private, and then you turn it to public. That's, right. right.
0: That's the only that's way. That's
1: the only way it will ever
0: happen. But that's, that's why I think you so should do it. That's so – that's why I bought this property. I've got yeah. a vision I've got to make into reality. I've got a lot of different things to prove. I mean, earlier I mentioned how I'm not keen on greenhouses – I'm gonna grow a lemon tree outdoors in Montana and and so uh, it's like but if you tried in fact I mentioned it for that project, why don't you do something cool? Why don't you grow like here in Helena we've got a lemon tree growing outside in Helena, Montana and it's like um, oh, that's a great idea crazy, crazy, crazy and now it's not ever going to happen because basically what they ended up with was landscaping with a big sign in the front that says permaculture. And so I I did not like the final design. There was not enough earthworks. There's no final. That was the other thing you couldn't get through your head. We were nowhere near a
1: final design. They're still nowhere near a final design. They won't have a final design until spring of 2014. This is designed by committee. That was the other thing. You just, like, you have to fight the whole way through. You give them exactly what they want and then you say, Here's all the places it sucks. And then you, you win them over a, like it's a grueling, frickin', you know, year long procedure of winning over one piece at a time. Whereas you looked at it and went, oh, it's gonna be one of those three designs. It was never, ever, 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 and you couldn't understand this then. I still don't think you can understand this now. It was never going to be one of those designs. Ever. Ever. <laughs> do you get it yet? And I don't think you do. No, no. I think you're no. stuck I, in, in summertime in Montana, in Helena, on those designs still. And I love you, but I have to quote General, Lieutenant General Russell Honore, you're almost stuck on stupid here, dude. <laughs> Never, ever going to be one of those designs.
0: Do you understand? I, I, no. I, I, I'm answering for you. No, you don't. No, no, no. I, I think I think the thing that I felt was apathy. I felt apathy in spades. Um, I mean, I had I had I, I went and stood on the property by myself. I came up with a design rather quickly, of what I would want to do there. And of course, none of the things that were being presented were were like that. I I do get that they're going to not stick with those. We're going to try and do a best of from all these different things. And um, no, you but, still don't get it. No, okay, fine. No, that's not a best of from all no, three. No. Don't care. Don't care. No. Don't care. <laughs> Don't, don't, I mean, I, never, all I can think you,
1: you need to get my camp, never do public works, because they, at least I understand it, you don't even get it. They I'm were, sorry. They you were don't.
0: just embracing all kinds of crazy that just seemed to be satisfying the people that could coo the loudest. Oh, I love this! Well, let's do what the loved person wants the most. And See, but
1: you didn't get it. Like, so we had all these people that were the most biggest pain in the ass, the community garden people, by the end of that presentation going, well, maybe we don't need that much space. Yeah, which was the entire point. They were taking a third of the space for this inappropriate use based on what they said they wanted. The only way to make them see that was to stick it in there and go, now when you have this plus this building and that building plus this park, now there's nothing left. And until you should, people like that cannot be, have it explained. They have to see it. And you know, and that was, you don't
0: want to do it? I don't want to do it. But if you're going to do it, that's the only way to do it. My my thinking was that there needed to be a berm 15 feet tall around 80% of the perimeter. Not going to happen. Uh, no, no. happen. No, no. Never going to happen. No, no, no. Hey, I, I, still, my vision, in my yeah. vision, I can have anything in my head that I want. And they wanted to have kids play there, and I thought I could totally make trails going up and down those berms. I could even make tunnels through the berms. That the kids could play in, and um, um, but on top of that, it's one great big polyculture. I thought about something with bees, and um, and having some bees there so that people could learn to not fear bees. And at the same time, I thought about um, the thing about the lemon tree, and um, there's all kinds of stuff that I thought I could do there. Plus, the other thing is is that there is slope to that land, and I thought they need to open the bottom up to be not burned so that way the cold air will drain out. And, and anyway, I've got all kinds of ways of being able to counter the cold, hence being able to grow a lemon tree outdoors in Montana. And I thought we should do these things. Let's take, let's, let's show people in Helena how they can have a garden that, um, that'll, instead of a greenhouse, a garden that will provide food year round. Um, do you
1: remember when I said you didn't get it?
0: Oh, yeah. They you do.
1: still don't get it. I, yeah. We're done. We're going to stop, dude, because we'll go on for hours. And I, I honestly think without context, the audience is probably like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I love what you're doing. And I think the takeaway from this for permaculturists is unless you like to deal, deal with bureaucratic bullshit, stink, stick to private projects uh, or stick to third world projects where when people are hungry, they'll let you do things so that you can give them food. Yep. Anyway, man, um, tell everybody about your website so we can wrap up here.
0: Permies.com. If you like this sort of thing, <laughs> come on out to the forums of Permies.com. Hey, and 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 I've made, uh, so Permies.com, and I've got 263 podcasts, which never would have existed if it weren't for you bringing me on your show years ago, and then a bunch of your people talked me into starting podcasts. So uh, we've, got, we've got tons of podcasts and then the videos. and yeah But permies.com is now probably the launching point for everything else. Stoves2.com is the place to go to in order to, to buy the four DVDs that you can get it streaming or in physical DVDs.
1: Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'll make sure I have links to all of that. And again, Paul, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jack. Always fun. All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spearco today along with Paul Wheaton helping you figure out how to live that better life. Sometimes get tough, or even if they don't evolution
0: is our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer it's like there's nothing I can do price we pay I guess a week